turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. Welcome to Let Us Reason, a Christian-Muslim dialogue with host Al Fadi. Let Us Reason is a unique show utilizing theology, apologetics, and evangelism to reach Muslims for Christ by comparing and contrasting Christian and Muslim doctrines. And now, your host, Al Fadi. Dr. J, I think we've done this before in other series. Today, I think it's applicable and it's relevant, really, to the topic we're talking about. Yeah. Now, what do Islamic leaders say about the claim that Quran is preserved, for instance? Okay, you saw the so what we said in, about the different manuscripts and how they there was not much of a preservation there. Multiple different manuscripts that start to appear in the 7th century. So you would think that the modern uh, the modern scholars or the modern leaders of Islam would be aware of this. So let's look and see what they say. And let's just look at I've got a few of them up here. Let's put it on the screen. Let's start with this first guy. Uh, his name is Fethullah Gulen from Turkey. And he says, the Quran's text is entirely reliable. It has not been altered, edited, or tampered with since it was revealed. All Muslims know only one Quran, perfectly preserved in its original words since the Prophet's death, when revelation ended. So here's this Turkish uh, cult leader, he actually lives right here in Pennsylvania, who says, one Quran, unaltered, unedited, and untampered. Okay, what do others say? Well, here is a convert to Islam, Suzanne Hanif. She says, the Holy Quran is the only divinely revealed scripture in the history of mankind which has been preserved to the present time in its exact original form. Preserved today in its exact original form. She has this in her book, Islam and Muslim. Okay, well, she's a convert. Maybe she doesn't know much. But you cannot say that about this guy. This guy is not a convert. Abdullah Yusuf Ali, he is the one that actually translated it into English. He's the one that we use. He is the yes, standard word. translation is very famous. Absolutely. In the 1930s. And what did he say? So well has it been preserved, that's the Quran, both in memory and in writing, that the Arabic text we have today is identical to the text as it was revealed to the Prophet. Not even a single letter has yielded to corruption during the passage of century. So not a single letter, not a single letter. That means every dot and every vowel, not right. one letter has been has been changed. That's uh, Yusuf Abdullah Yusuf Ali. We have here Malvi Muhammad Ali, who comes out of the Ahmadiyya movement that became very popular in mm -hmm. Pakistan. And he says, the Quran is one. And no copy differing in even a diacritical point, that's the dots, above the low of the five dots we're talking about, is met with. There are and always have been contending 
sex, but the same Quran is the possession of one and all. A manuscript with the slightest variation in the text is unknown. So not even a diacritical mark has been changed. We can see already that there that has red flags. What about our good friend, Dr. Shabirani? I debated this guy six times. We're good friends. Uh, we know each other. Uh, I've been uh, working with him since 1998, I think it is. And what does he say? We have a copy of the Quran dating from 790 in the British Museum. Interestingly, he says 790. That's the Quran, the MS2165. Folks, that's 1,300 years. Look at the date. 1,300 years ago, and we compare that with what we are reading today, and we find them to be exactly identical. He then continues on, and he makes this statement more recently. He said, what is important to notice is that throughout the ages of Muslim history, the Muslims have not quarreled over what is the text of the Quran, because the text was known through memory work and through the written materials handed down right from the time of the Prophet Muhammad. I won't say what he says after that. As I said, the two copies that were made 1,400 years. Now he's going back even 100 years earlier. One which is in Tashkent, Russia. Tashkent is not in Russia, so he made another second mistake. That's in uh, Uzbekistan, not in Russia. For example, has been demonstrated by Ahmed van Denver Denver in his book, Ulam al-Quran, to be an early copy from that time, and we find no difference from that copy to what we're reading today. How did they open this? Because it's encased. And no one is allowed to touch it. So how did he determine that? The Samarkand? Yeah. Actually, you can open it. It came to London. They had it on display. Oh, so when it. they brought it over. Oh, you know, yeah. When you go well. there, they were refused oh, to listen, let you touch listen. it. Yeah. Alta Kulic has looked at it. He's He's gone through it uh, from uh, two, uh, 2005 up to two, till uh, 2007. So those scholars were allowed. Alta Kulic yeah. has gone right through it. And look what he says about the Quran. We're going to get to that later on in another right. episode. So that's Dr. Shabirati. I want to end with Dr. Yasser Qadi, our good friend from 2020. Hold in the narrative. Uthman standardized the copies of the Quran, and from his time up until our time, there hasn't been two copies of the Quran that are different, even one letter or one word. The Quran is the most protected of all scriptures, and God has protected his Quran from any kind of alteration, deviation, miswriting, because he says he is going to protect it. All Qurans, even up to our time, conform, here it is, ready? Letter for letter, word for word with the Uthmanic Musaf. Musaf means manuscript. Mm-hmm. To this day, there is no different version of the Quran. There is but one Quran. Not a word, not a letter has changed. That's our influential American. Now, hold on a minute. I just want to say, why do they make these claims? Well, they have to. Because the Quran makes these claims. Now, I was going to say, these up. are very smart people. Here, what's the Quran say? The Quran is very clear. It, In chapter 85, verse 21 to 22, this is the glorious Quran inscribed in the preserved tablets. That's the uncreated Quran, and that's where that claim comes. It is eternal internal to the Quran. You have chapter 10, verse 15. Bring us a Quran other than this or change it. Say, it is not for me to change it on my own accord. No human can change it because therefore it takes away its preservation. It takes away its eternality. It takes away its inimitability. In chapter 18, verse 27, and recite what has been revealed to you of the book of your Lord. None can change his words. No one, you, me, nobody can change his word. And finally, chapter 15, verse 9, verily we, and that's referring to God in the plural tense. It is we, there's God in the plural tense again, who have sent down the Quran, and surely 
we will guard it. Yeah, this is one of the most famous passages that are used. إِنَّا نَحْنُ نَزَّلْنَا الْقُرْآنَ وَإِنَّا نَحْنُ نَزَّلْنَا الذِّكْرَ وَإِنَّا لَهُ لَحَافِظُونَ And this is the one that the claim is that the dhikr here is reference to the Quran, when in fact it's used of the Torah, technically speaking, in the Quran itself. So, let's conclude this episode right here. What do they all agree upon? That the Quran we have today has not changed one iota, one of them said, since its inception 1,400 years ago. Shabir Ali did say 13, he then corrected himself. That the Quran we have today is exactly the same as that which is on the preserved tablets in heaven. That's in chapter 85, verse 21 mm-hmm. and 22. Every word, even every letter is the same. That's Jesad Qadi that made that claim. That our Quran parallels in every detail that which was revealed to the Prophet Muhammad and was written down completely by Uthman in 652. But as that, as that was, what's the, is that the earliest what Muslim scholars believe? Let's look and see what they said according to the Quran. We, this is the claim that the scholars today make. Next episode, let's see what the earliest Muslim scholars said and see if there's a disconnect. You'll be surprised by what you find. Absolutely, and, and, and I know where we're going with this, but let, let me go back again like in the next minute or so before we wrap this up. Um, you know, I know these uh, scholars, like I said, very smart scholars, very intelligent people. I get it that the Quran is saying this about itself, but they at least had the opportunity to investigate and inspect and compare and contrast. Why make such big statements knowing that others are going to poke hole in it? Because of the Quran itself. They have no, they have nowhere to go. They have to say that, Al-Fari. They have no other choice. The Quran makes those claims. Therefore, they've got to support those claims. They just hope we're not investigating it. They just hope that Hatuntash, that five foot two, does not find any other Quran. They were really hoping that she would never find those 26 Qurans when she did. You can see this has just blown all of these claims open for these uh, modern scholars since 2016. That's a whole other story. We're not getting into that in these episodes. Uh, you know what? We've been gone through those episodes, you and I, many times. But they didn't, they didn't think that Dan Brubaker would actually start looking at changes and looking at manuscript variants in the canonical text. So you can see, uh, I'm saying consonantal text. Mm-hmm. So you can see, they just didn't realize that we'd be investigating these claims. They didn't think they needed to because no one had dared to ask them, getting back to what Shoemaker's saying. No one had ever asked these questions because no one could ask these questions because our good friend Smith wouldn't let us ask these questions because we had to make sure everything we said had to pass by their grid. And their grid is what you just saw. That's their grid. That's what you saw. They have ne- No one's ever criticized what those claims well, we're going to go back and see what the original manuscript, uh, the original authorities, the original scholars said about their Quran. And you'll be surprised, uh, you know, I don't want to jump ahead of the, the game, but you'll be surprised that there is a vast difference between what early Quranic uh, uh, scholars or at least early Muslim scholars would behave or say about the Quran as opposed to our modern contemporary Islamic scholars. Thank you, Dr. J, as always. Thank you, everyone, for watching. And hope you've been enjoying this series. We encourage you, as always, to subscribe to our YouTube channel, Sira International, and also join our Patreon team. Until next episode, have a blessed day. Thank you for listening. We'll be right back after this message. You're listening to Let Us Reason with Al Fadi. We depend on the generous gifts of our supporters to produce this program. To join us in this work, go to patreon.com and search for Sira International. That's C-I-R-A International. You can also donate through PayPal 
Go to sirainternational.com to learn more. Your support will help us continue introducing Muslims to the gospel of Christ. Now, back to Let Us Reason. Today, we are going to highlight to you what did early Muslim scholars say when it comes to the Quran and its preservation. With me, of course, uh, to uh, here in studio to unpack all of that for us is Dr. Jay Smith. Dr. Jay, welcome back. Thank you. So it's good that we do a comparative. What they're saying today isn't the same as what they used to say. So let's go right into it, and let's look at the first slide. And this comes from Ibn Abi Daud, uh, Kitab al-Masafif, and he says this, Many of the passages of the Quran that were sent down were known by those who died on the day of Yamamah, but they were not known by those who survived them, nor were they written down. Nor had Abu Bakr, that's the caliph, Umar and Uthman, the other two caliphs, by that time collected the Quran, nor were they found with even one person after them. So this is Ibn Abi Dawud writing in the ninth century, and he's very clear that some of the verses were lost. And he's a very well known, and his work on the Masahif is, is known as well. Now let's go to another one who's from this. Well, no, this is actually Asuyuti. Asuyuti is from the 16th century, writing back concerning what he knows from the Islamic tradition. And this is what he says. Mm -hmm. It is reported from Ismail ibn Ibrahim, from Ayub, from Naf, these are known as Isnad, uh, from Ibn Umar, who said, let none of you say, I have acquired the whole of the Quran. How does he know what all of it is when much of the Quran has disappeared? Rather, let him say, I have acquired what has survived. Right, and this is the son of Omar, the second caliph, by the way. Isn't that fascinating? Look what he's yeah. admitting. So, some verses have disappeared, according to him. Now we come to Sahih Muslim, second only to al-Buhari in importance amongst the Hadith uh, compilers. So again, he died in 875. This is the late 9th century. This is very early. And he says this, We used to recite a surah which resembled in length and severity the surah Bar'at. I have, however, forgotten it, with the exception of this, which I remember out of it. And this is what it is. If there were two valleys full of riches for the son of Adam, he would long for a third valley and nothing would fill the stomach of the son of Adam but dust. This is a pretty large amount that had been lost. So you can see some of this had been forgotten, according to Sahih Muslim, second only to al-Buhari in importance. Well, let's now go to al-Buhari because he's the most important. He is sahih. He is perfect. There is no error. And this is what he said. We used to read a verse of the Quran revealed in their connection, but later the verse was canceled. And this is what it was. Convey to our people on our behalf the information that we have met our Lord, and he is pleased with us and has made us pleased. Now, he died in 870, so this is the late 9th century again, and he's saying that some verses were canceled. Here's another one by him. And this is the verse that we were talking about in a previous episode. This is the verse on stoning. Right, a rajum. Rajum. Yeah. Allah sent Muhammad with the truth and revealed the holy book to him. And among what Allah revealed was the verse of the rajum, stoning of married persons, male and female, who commit adultery. And we did recite this verse and understood and memorized it. Allah's apostle did carry out the punishment of stoning, and so did we after him. Who's saying this? This is Abu this Bakr. Is, this is Omar. Oh, is it Umar? Sorry. Yeah. Umar is, Umar is, the Umar is really upset with this. Yeah. I am afraid that after a long time has passed, somebody will say, by Allah, we do not find the verse of Rajam in Allah's book. 
And thus they will go astray by leaving an obligation which Allah has revealed. So here is Umar remonstrating, saying, listen, we used to stone the prophet's stone, but now I look in the book, and this verse on Rajam, which is in stoning, has now been changed to a hundred lashes. So he's saying, what is the justification for it? That's Absolutely. what he's saying. Yeah. They're going to say, not only us, others are going to say someone's changed it. So he is really bringing out something that is, uh, for obviously, that would be that is troublesome. In this case, he, the punishment itself is what he's more worried about. And if you look in chapter 24, verse 2, you will see it's a hundred lashes now. Mm-hmm. Rajam has been taken out. Kuzaiba ibn Tabin, according to Ibn Abi Dawud, said, I see you have overlooked two verses and have not written them. They said, and which are they? He replied, I had it directly, automatically, spontaneously from the Messenger of Allah. And that's chapter 9, verse 128 that we saw about earlier. Uthman said, I bear witness that these verses are from Allah. So it looked like they overlooked some by accident. And thank God that Uthman realized that this had been overlooked and needed to put them back again. So it's very clear, according to Ibn Abi Dawud, that parts of the Quran had been overlooked. We get back to Muatta ibn Malik. This Look at the dates again. This is the late 8th century now. Abu Yunus, he says, Freedman of Aisha, mother of the believers, reported, Aisha ordered me to translate the Holy Quran and asked me to let her know when I should write at the verse. Go ahead and read that if you can read that because I don't want to desecrate it. Uh, you mean the, the one that it's written in Arabic? It's actually written in English. It's transliteration in right. English. But you could do with better pronunciation than I do. Uh, well, uh, I mean, it's uh, hard for me, to be honest with you, uh, to read it this way, because I don't want to butcher it also, and people might think we're trying to change things. Okay, you, you have... can read it for yourself, people. You can see it on there. Yeah. Have to Allah so I want to make sure I want to read it from the Arabic, actually. Yeah. So it says, Havadu Salati. Uh, yeah. So it's talking here about the middle prayer, middle prayer, which uh, perceived to be Salat al-Asr, you know, technically speaking. You have two prayers before it, two prayers after it. Okay, then he says, yeah. when I arrived at this verse, I informed her and she ordered, now remember, this is a woman. Or write it this way instead. And there you can see, we're not going to do it again because we don't want to desecrate it. She added that she had heard it so from the Apostle Apostle of Allah. So here you have a woman who changed it. This is, of course, the favored wife of Muhammad. But a woman is able to change it, according to Muatta ibn Malik in the late 8th century. Ibn Abi Dawid that we talked about earlier, then also talk about Al-Hajjaj ibn Yusuf. We're going to talk about quite a bit about him later on Mm -hmm. in further episodes made 11 modifications. This is just according to Ibn Abi Dawid in the reading of the Uthmanic text. In Al-Baqarah, Surah 2, uh, 259, it originally read this, but it has been changed to that. In Malmaidah, Surah 4, 5, verse 48, it usually read this. Now it has been altered to that. So you can see in every case, you may change after may change after may change. Actually, this is just one testimony of this. We're going to see many more testimonies of this coming later. Lots of changes that happen with uh, Al-Hajjaj ibn Yusuf. So there you find modification according to Ibn Dawud. And then we have substitution. 
But Allah said, according to Sahih Buhari, none of our revelations do we abrogate or cause to be forgotten, but we substitute something better or similar, which reflects what we see in the Quran itself in chapter 2, verse 106, chapter 16, verse 101. That's called the law of abrogation. Mm -hmm. So Al-Buhari was very clear that this was quite normal. This went on piecemeal all the time. Changes were solved, verses were substituted. And we'll end with this one, Sunan Ibn Majah. We can do many more. Let's just end with this one. It was narrated that Aisha said, now here's Aisha again, the verse of stoning and of breastfeeding an adult ten times. What's this all about, this breastfeeding of adults? You know what this is referring to? Well, you know, uh, according to Islamic Sharia law, uh, if a person was breastfed by a woman, meaning she nursed that person. A, a, a male. Yes, not exactly. A, boy. A, a male, exactly. In this case, the male becomes almost like a, a son. To that woman. In other words, if he walks in uh, in the house and she is not covering her head with hijab, it's okay because he's like a son. But if that person is not related to her directly or was not nursed, breastfed by her, then he is just not up. allowed to be there. And therefore, the accusation could fly and say, oh, what is he doing there? And are you like uh, committing adultery and all that kind of stuff? So Aisha yeah. is, is fed up and tired with breastfeeding all these guys that want to come visit her. So what does he do? This paper was was with me under my pillow when the messenger of Allah died. We were preoccupied with his death and a tame sheep came and ate it, uh, which is fortunate for her. So it looks like this sheep ate part of the Quran, the one on stoning and also on breastfeeding, according to Sunan Ibn Majah. Yeah. Now, let's put that all together and what do we come up with? Yeah. Let's summarize it real quickly. So here you have lost, then you have disappeared, you have forgotten, you have canceled, you have missing, you have overlooked, you have changed, modified, substituted, and eaten by sheep. Now tell me, folks, does this sound like a book which was compiled perfectly and completely like the earlier, uh, I mean, the all scholars are today are saying? Does this not imply intentional human intervention right through its initial compilation? According to the earliest scholars, look at all that litany of changes and changes and changes and changes that happened. And then this is the dilemma, by the way. If modern scholars are going to now discredit these early accounts, then they're admitting that these early accounts were fabricated or has a problem or were corrupted. So they have an issue anywhere you look at it. And today, there are many Quranic manuscripts that have been unearthed, and they show also fluidity in the process of transmitting the Quran. Enormous fluidity. And why yeah. do you have fluidity? Because it's human-made. Whenever exactly. humans are a part of an, of an operation, there is going to be manuscript variants. There are going to be scribal errors. There are going to be changes. There are going to be manipulations, accretions, deletions. This is typical of anything that's human-made proving that this is as human-made a document as, as any other. And this is exactly what Shoemaker is trying to get at. That's true. And I would argue that uh, if you were to meet today with these early Islamic scholars, they would look at you and say, so, if this manuscript read this way and that tafsir said that that reader read it this way, I don't see any problem. They weren't really dogmatic about the issues as we see today. Okay. And next time? Why Next gonna time, we're going to look at what we call the Noldekishwalian paradigm. This is the paradigm that Shoemaker wants to say became the paradigm that was normative for all of the schools here in the United States and Europe. What are we talking about, this Noldekishwalian paradigm? Wonderful. Tune in, you'll see what we're talking about. Thank you, as always. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Hopefully, you can join us next time. Until then, have a blessed day. 